So you guys, Steve last week talked about this kind of middle section of chapter eight, and he talked a lot about this idea of letting the spirit lead. You guys remember, right? Now, I got to say this. We're always doing it right, quote unquote, if we're walking in the Holy Spirit. Would you guys all agree with that? That's, we're doing it right if that's what we're doing. But I could say to you that that's it. We got we to just walk in the Holy Spirit. That's easy. So just do it. But that's not that easy. It's hard. It's a process that we're walking through. And so let's dig into the passage, and we're going to keep looking at why walking in the Spirit is good, but also, you guys, why, if, that was, if it was that easy and all I had to do was tell you to walk in the Spirit, we'd, we would not need to come every Sunday. Do you understand that? The Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. If we were easily able to hear his voice and to just follow it like an automaton, we wouldn't need to do this. Why do we need to do this? Why did Jesus do all this? Because he knew we were flawed human beings. It's why he said to his disciples, walk with me for three and a half years so that you can keep screwing it up. Oh, and by the way, after, you're, after I'm gone, you're still going to screw it up. Peter, you especially, right? <laughs> but this is the point. This is what it's all about. We walk out our walks with the Lord. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, the hope that we have in all of this. And so let's start reading in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22. That is where you left off, right? Okay, good. <laughs> verse 22 of chapter 8 in Romans says this, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also, who we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So, you guys, I want to point out something very profound. And for some of you, you might have been like, you might hear this and be like, well, of course, that's what it says. That's what it's always said. What's your problem? Here's the deal. Something that I hadn't really pondered over much in all of the hundreds of other times that I've read this verse, how many people have read this section of scripture? Hundreds of times, right? I love it when God does something amazing and like points out a word. He's like, did you see that that was there? And I'm like, well, it's obviously been written there for thousands of years, but no, God, I didn't quite, I didn't quite notice that that word was there. It's cool when God drops a new bomb on you and he does that in his word because it's a living word and it's awesome. So here's the thing that stuck out to me, you guys. It says that the whole of creation, all of earth, groans and labors with birth pangs. Isn't that interesting? Does that blow your mind as much as it's blown mine? Birth pangs. What would we expect from this world? Think about how we, especially as Christians, process what's going on. I just heard someone today say, well, the way this world's going, I can't wait to go home. And I agree with that statement. But the reality is, is that the way we talk about this, it's like the earth or the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever say that? Yeah. That's only partially true because the word says here that the earth is groaning with birth pangs. Birth pangs. Weird. That blew my mind. You would expect death pangs. You would expect like, dude, we're dying a slow and painful death. That's why we're groaning. But no, it's groaning with birth pangs. And I find that very interesting. It's encouraging to me, you guys. Why? Because it's not just the whole creation that's groaning and laboring. It's us too. The truth is this whole idea that the earth is going to hell in a handbasket is only partially true. The earth and the heaven is going to eventually be made new. 
the old earth and the old, it's going to be gone away and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth after the great white throne of judgment. We, if you guys weren't here for the time that we went through the book of Revelation, I highly recommend, I think we took a year and a half, maybe two years, I don't know, it took a long time, right, to get through the book of Revelation and it's, there's so much there, but you guys, this idea of what is going to happen to the heaven and the earth happens after the great white throne of judgment where everyone that has not chosen Christ will be judged on their own actions, right? We know this. You guys know this? And we need to understand this. So since they didn't want to accept the perfect life that Christ lived in his death and resurrection, it says that they're going to be thrown into the lake, and fire, a lake of fire, which was not really meant for them. They were all supposed to come to Christ, but each of us have a choice. It also says that death and hell is going to be thrown into that same lake of fire. Death and hell. Now process that for just a second. If you're here today and you're not a believer, I'm not trying to scare you, but I got to really let you know, there is a real place called hell. As amazing and perfect as heaven is, you guys, hell is a real place. And that's where everybody that doesn't accept Christ is currently. But then hell itself will be thrown into the lake of fire after the, if hell's bad, I don't even know that we can fathom what the lake of fire is like. Let's go and flip over here to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 is where we're going to start here. You guys are like, this is not encouraging. <laughs> Here's the deal. I need us to understand this. It's birth pangs because they're waiting on the new thing. The earth is waiting on its new creation. We, you guys, as Christians, are waiting on our new creation. Amen? So let's read Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. All of you surfers, sorry, the new heaven and the new earth. No surfing, apparently. But the reality, you guys, is this. Since sin entered the world, since the Garden of Eden and their, their exit from the Garden of Eden, you guys, the earth has been like, when's the new one coming? When are we going to be reborn? When is all this going to be made right again? And the creation has been groaning for rebirth, for what's to come. And what we read here, what he's saying is, you guys, in verse 23, it says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan for this rebirth. The, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, you guys, that's a down payment that we've talked about already. You guys remember? The Holy Spirit is the proof essentially for us as Christians of what is to come. It's like the down payment. It's like walking into the, you know, the thing and putting your escrow down and, and putting all that down on your house. It's your house even if you haven't taken custody of it yet. Does that make sense? Like once you sign all the papers, once it's all done, it's your house. That's exactly what God has done with us. We are his house. We, we are a temple of God. He has made us his. And the Holy Spirit is that down payment. 
And so Paul here, you guys, is speaking only to those that have accepted the death and resurrection of Jesus. We groan. I need you to hear that. Because if there's one exhortation I would give to us, church, is this. There are a lot of people in the church, not our church necessarily, even though I'm sure there is statistically, but in the, in the universal church, there are a lot of people that are not living like they're groaning. They're trying to gain everything they can here in this world because like, they think this is it. There should be a stark contrast between we as Christians that are saying, oh God, oh God, would you be in the midst of this marriage of my relative that's falling apart? God, would you be there? Because it's not good and I'm groaning for something better. God, would you be in my own marriage? God, would you be in my situation with my family? Because it's not good. It doesn't look good. It's not clean and it's not good or holy. And Lord, I need you to be in the midst of it. There should be a difference in how we look at this world as in comparison to the rest of the world, right? There should be. You guys, we are officially in the family of God. Sad part is, is we're still in the orphanage. <laughs> this earth is our orphanage. And we're stuck here for a little while. And I don't know about you. If you knew you were, or, you, you were an orphan, and, you, and if, I don't know if there is any orphans here, and I don't have a clue what that feels like, but I do know this, that if there was an orphan that was fully aware that they had family that was coming to get them, but they were just waiting on the family to come, I could imagine that that period of time would be very odd because you still have to go and eat dinner and you still have to go and be loving and you still have to go do all the things that you're supposed to do, but you're like, but mom and dad are coming. In our context, our dad is coming. In our context, our brother's coming first. That's what I believe and getting us back. Right? Jesus is coming. I am so thankful for that. But right now, you guys, we're in the orphanage still. And yes, we're groaning. We're like, can we be done with this? Please, sir. I don't want any more. Right? <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind is Pink Floyd. You can't have your meat if you don't eat your pudding. <laughs> Sorry. We don't need no. Okay. I don't know what we're doing here. Sorry. You guys, we anticipate going home. We are here in the orphanage. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his word. Those two things, you guys, are like a walkie-talkie to our family. They are. I know I'm coming up with a lot of weird analogies today because as I was studying all of this, it just kept coming to mind. I'm like, God, why would you do it this way? Why would you? Like, did you ever think about that? Like the thief on the cross, dude, his time in the orphanage was very, very short. I kind of wish that was the way all of ours were on a level. Does that make, I'm just being selfish here. I'm being self-centered. Thank God it's not that way. Like Paul said, right? Like, man, I long to be home. I want to go home, but man, I'm here for you all. So shape up, <laughs> right? That's not what he said, but you get my point. <laughs> But the idea here is, is you guys, we are here. We're here to love each other. We're here to tell others about Jesus. We're here to invite all of the orphans in the whole world to him to come and join the family because it's an open adoption, right? But you have to choose it. And so that is our job. That's what we're here for. But the reality is, is that while we're waiting, you guys, we have a walkie-talkie to Jesus. We walkie with him and he talkies to us right? <laughs> like, that's how it is, man. We're walking with him every day, and we're talking to him, and he's talking to us, and we're, we got like the walkie-talkie. We have his word. <laughs> Do you guys ever think about that? That's actually why they called it a walkie-talkie, because you can walkie and talkie. <laughs> that's actually not, that's a true statement. 
Verse 24 says this. It says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You guys, those verses are huge. I want to address something that is often misunderstood here. We are not hoping. Paul is not saying that we're hoping in salvation. Do you understand that? We're not hoping we're going to be saved. We're not like waiting until we die and then being like, oh no, are we going to be let through the gates of heaven? No. Listen, if you've accepted Christ into your heart and you believe him, but I need to clarify something, you guys. Do you realize the word belief in Greek there means this? Literally giving your entirety to God. That's what belief means. Every day saying, God, you're it. I need you. Not perfectly, but that that's your heart posture. Belief is not a get out of hell free card because you once said a prayer and now you just go do whatever you want for the rest of your life. That's not belief. I'm just being honest. It's not what it says in the Greek and I would be wrong to tell you otherwise. So if that is you here today, you need to be very careful for where you stand. Belief is more than that. Belief is saying, God, you're it. You're my ride or die. Jesus, you're it. I believe literally, John 14, 6, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. And I literally am going to hold onto your legs as strongly as possible because it's all I got. If you believe that today, you are saved. You have nothing to worry about. You're good. That is not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is we're looking forward to the hope that we have. We're, we're hoping, you guys, in this confidence that we have in our salvation because of the faith that we have is already done. It's the, <laughs> faith that we have in Christ is what gets us to heaven. Faith in what Christ did on the cross is what gets, to, gets us to heaven. The hope that he's talking about here, we're saved in this hope, the hope that isn't seen yet. In other words, we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. We have faith that that is gonna get us to heaven. What we're hoping in is this, in this interim is that we're hoping in the fact that we're like, yes, he's coming to get me. I have no doubt about that. He is definitely coming to get me. And in that moment, hope is bred. Does that make sense? Hope stems out of that. If you have an orphan in an orphanage that's like, I know that my mom and dad are coming. Why? Because I signed the papers along with them. They're coming. I promise you, they're going to walk around with a hope that you will not see in other people, in the orphanage, other kids. Does that make sense? That's the idea. We have hope. This is good. You guys, we walk in this hope. This is an encouraging message. The reality is, is that we are hopefully awaiting the final adoption. We are hopefully expecting the return of Christ. We are hopefully waiting here. We're here living our lives on earth, but we're living with hope. We're living with hope. We're not living in despair. We don't need to go to the bar on Saturday night like the rest of the world and drown our sorrows. We don't need to fill our veins with drugs we don't need to chase after some astrological sign to try to live our lives. No, we have Jesus. He's the only sign we need. We walk in and talk with him. <laughs> and that's what we do, right? Like, that's it, man. That's our life for the rest of this life until we go home. And in that, there is a lot of hope, you guys. Do you see the point that Paul's making? Paul's making it clear as well, you guys. 
that we hope in what has not yet come. We're hoping in what is yet to come. Because if we were not, if it was already the reality, then why would we have a need for hope? How many people in 2019 were like, man, I'm hoping for a good year in 2020? And prior to 2020, you were like, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm hoping for a great year too. How many people got to the end of 2020 and said, I'm hoping that that year was good? No, we're all like, that was a dumpster fire. Garbage, do not recommend, (laughs) right? We didn't have to hope in 2020, we lived 2020. And by the end of 2020, we were like, boy, that was horrible for most of us anyway, right? So do you get my point? Hope that is already seen is no longer hope. It's just reality. It is where you are. How many people here would say that they're hoping they have a good and an awesome, great year in 2023? Everybody? Yeah, me too. It would be ridiculous though to say 2022, I really hope 2022 was a good year. You don't know? We'll figure it out then, because that's weird. That's not good. And that, that's kind of the way it is, man. That's what Paul's getting at. Can, can we get our heads around this? It requires faith to come to Christ. Because of the faith that we put in Christ, we have the hope that we're, we're given. The world around us, you guys, has said, I've had people say directly to me, like, man, I would believe in Jesus if he came and talked to me. Well, guess what? There were people that came that Jesus talked to, and they didn't believe. Why? Because it required more than just seeing a human being there that said he was a son of God. It required faith in that person, right? The Bible tells us, man, like, man, it's good for you, those that, you, that have not seen and yet believed. Why? Because, man, it doesn't matter if you see Jesus in the flesh or if you don't. The reality is, is that he either is true and a Lord of all or he's an absolute liar and a lunatic. And every one of us has to come to a place where we've decided which one we believe, And that decision has eternal consequences. It's a very important uh, decision. Verse 26. Paul continues here. He says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Thank you, Jesus. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You guys, here's Paul speaking of the hope that we live in and what lies ahead of us, right? And he's like, man, we can be confident that this world and this body and this mind is not the end for us, that we have a new body coming, And we have a new mind coming. And the new world is on its way. And so we can have hope that, yes, there is something better on the horizon. There's something better coming. We have, you guys. We're going to, think about this. You guys, we're going to have new bodies. That's awesome. When I woke up this morning after snow blowing and helping Donna Mariah move and and, and, and all these things, I was like, Lord, can we just get the new body out of the way now? How many other people were like that, right? Backs hurting, just ay ay ay. We're going to have new minds. We're going to like think God thoughts. We're not going to think our stupid thoughts. 
We're not going to be in the middle of prayer and then suddenly have some really sinful desire pop up in our brain. You guys ever deal with that? I do all the time. This morning I was in the office and I'm praying. And then suddenly I was like, you know, I think I should go look on Facebook. First sinful thought. No. (laughs) Then I went and looked at Facebook and I went down a trail. And guess what I didn't do for five straight minutes? Pray. (laughs) And then I was like, what am I doing? Stop it put it down and started praying. But that's how it goes, right? For all of us, man, when we get to heaven, we're just going to be like, hey, Jesus, I want to talk to you about something. And then we're going to talk to him. That's awesome. Our mind is not going to be distracted like it is now. Our mind is not going to be cluttered by all the garbage that it is cluttered by now. There's going to be a new heaven. I can't even imagine how good heaven is now, but the new one, probably better. A new earth, you guys. No sea. I know everyone here is disappointed that surfs. Sorry. But I, I promise you this, God's not going to disappoint. It's going to be amazing. You guys, we have all that to look forward and hope in. That's awesome. And then Paul tells us that on top of all that, while we're still here in the orphanage, while we're still here kind of slugging it out and getting into the mud and just doing our thing, right? Eating our gruel and, you know, getting our education and doing all the stuff that Pink Floyd sang about, right? While we're doing all that, the Holy Spirit is residing in us, helping us in our weaknesses. You guys, and I I want you to see this. Paul, do you notice here? He did not put himself on a pedestal. He's like, the Holy Spirit was sent to all of you peons to help you in your weaknesses. No, he says, the Holy Spirit came and we're all getting helped out with our weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. There's not one person that isn't weak. We all have them, and yet the Holy Spirit is here to help us out. And it says that actually, he actually is helping us learn how to pray. There are people in our church congregation, you guys, that I have got to witness literally grow in their prayer life, and it's been a beautiful, amazing thing. And I want to encourage anyone here that is afraid to pray out loud or just doesn't really pray that much because they're like, I don't know what this looks like. It doesn't look like anything. It looks like a conversation. It would be like you being like, I don't know how to talk to my mom or my dad. Well, how do you? You open your mouth and you talk. It's the same way you talk to your Holy Father. You just talk to him. God is here. He wants to hear from you. Talk to him. But even in all of that, you guys, we get to read this here that the Holy Spirit's teaching us how to pray. He's helping us learn. He's not only that, you guys, he's interceding on our behalf when we don't even know what to pray. He's praying for us through our groans. He's praying for us and through us in our weaknesses. When all we've got after we just said something really dumb, have you guys ever done this? When you say something really dumb and the next thing that comes out of your mouth is, ah. That's the Holy Spirit being like, let me pray for you. (laughs) Right? Guys, we know that too well probably, huh? You guys, prayer is just a conversation with God. It's not a formula. It isn't something that you are good or bad at. When people say that, like, I'm just not really good at praying. I'm like, well, then you don't know what prayer is because you're not good or bad at praying. You just pray. Are you good or bad at putting your pants on? I mean, I guess if you come with no pants on, maybe you're bad at that. (laughs) But you get my point? We all learn how to put our pants on. That's what prayer is. Just put your pants on. Just do your thing. Just pray. You guys... The fact is you can rest in the fact and this set of verses should encourage you that you don't need the right words because there are no such thing as right words. There's just words that you speak to God. 
So I would encourage you to step that out, man. And I need, to, I need to say this, and you guys, it's just the truth. This section of scripture has been just ringing true in my life as I've been spending this time with my mom, as I've been praying for my mom, as I've been praying for my family and my brother and I trying to make a decision that is very, very hard to make to say, man, we're gonna put you on hospice and we're not gonna allow this to continue on. That type of stuff, you guys, you don't pray prayers that are normal and you don't have words. And there were plenty of times with Grace and I, I'm like, Lord, I don't even know. I just kept saying, I don't know. I don't know, God. I don't know. That's the prayer I got from my, for, for my mom and for this whole situation because I don't know. But I know that God does. And this, through my tears, through me saying, I don't know what to say, God. I don't know what to do here, Lord. He's praying for me and giving me confidence and walking it out. And you guys, we all have that confidence. It's not just me. And it's not just a bad situation. It's every situation. It's everything. God is there. The Holy Spirit is here interceding for us. It is a hopeful thing. Man, we can hope in that. You guys, we have a comforter in the Holy Spirit, don't we? He's a comforter and he does comfort you. He also prays according to what? According to God's will. When we have no idea what to pray, can I say? We always want to pray God's will. And that sometimes means our prayer is this, Lord, I don't know what your will is. Would you help me? That's a legit prayer. But know that the Holy Spirit is praying God's will for you and that that's going to help direct your traffic as you're willing to listen, as you're willing to continue walkie-talkieing with him. Right? And obviously, this doesn't mean, I need you to hear this, that because the Holy Spirit's praying for us, that should we, we shouldn't pray. I've actually had people use this scripture that way. Like, well, pastor... I don't think I really need to pray because the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit prays for me. You are misrepresenting it entirely. Your job is to pray. Your job is to talk to God. Your job is to continue to be in conversation. It would be like a husband coming to me and saying, well, I don't really have to talk to my wife. The Bible tells me so. It doesn't say that. Because she knows me so well, I don't need to say words. If I give her a look, she knows that I don't like that my dishes were not done. I don't know. Let's switch this up. Okay, ready? Ah, no. Yeah. It's like a wife saying, I don't have to talk to my husband so that when he gets in my car and the tank is empty again, he should just know it because I went. <laughs> That's not how it works, is it? You guys, listen, I'm sorry, ladies. I'm just teasing. I'm not really that sexist. I'm joking right? Oh, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> That's my wife actually is always like, take my car, it's empty. <laughs> you guys, the fact is, though, is that it does mean that we should pray. You talk to your wife, you talk to your husband, you have conversation. Why? Because you need to, because it's good. It's healthy relationship stuff. If I said I had a best friend and I never talked to him, he wouldn't be my best friend eventually, right? That doesn't make sense. Why would we say we love God, we love Jesus, and then we never pray to him? Really? Like, we need to be having conversation. Why are we not in his word? Listen, I'm not here to condemn. I'm just being honest. It makes no sense to not say, God, I want you to talk to me, but I'm not going to open the book and read. It makes no sense to say, God, I want to talk to you, but I'm not going to. Talk to him. He's going to talk back. You're going to hear from him. 
Do you know how else that is? You're going to be deep in prayer and praying and praying and praying. And we talked about this with Nehemiah. We finished off the book and the name of that message was call your garbage out because we all have garbage and we as a church are there to be that for one another. Do you know how the Holy Spirit tends to talk through his church, through one another? Through someone coming up, I, I pray that we as a church, you guys, that we would be walking in the spirit enough for the Holy Spirit to say, I want you to go and I want you to talk to your brother or talk to your sister in the Lord. And you don't need to understand the context, but here's what I want you to say. Have you guys ever had that experience? I've had that. I love it. It's amazing. It's terrifying. It's all things because you're like, I don't even know what that means. I've actually had God say to me this, go and tell this woman, I'm not going to name names, she's here, and, and say Yes. Say yes. And I went and I said, I don't even know what all this means, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you yes. And she said, I've just been praying about something. And that was the answer I was waiting for. That's awesome. When I walked away, I wasn't like, I'm amazing. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Because <laughs> I could just as easily have walked up and she was like, I don't even know what that means. And I would have been like, well, okay, maybe I missed it. And walk away. And that's okay. I would rather be obedient and be wrong than to be disobedient and miss out, right? It's awesome that we get this opportunity. So the fact is, you guys, and it's true in our walk with the Lord too, there is truth in the analogy that I was giving before where a spouse doesn't need to say very much to another spouse. There's truth there, isn't there? Anybody that's been married a long time or any amount of time, really, through time, you get to a point where I know what, when my wife taps my leg, what that means, that means shut up. So if you guys ever see her just reaching down and tapping my leg, then you can know that I'm probably gonna shut up in a couple seconds. I'll be like, right? Now they're all gonna be watching you. I'll be like, hi. You'll be like, mm. <laughs> but it doesn't eliminate the need for speech. And it also doesn't eliminate just the goodness of intimate conversation, does it? So I, my wife and I know each other very well. And there's a lot of things we don't need to say anymore. But there's still joy in just having conversation. And there's still joy in the intimacy that we have as a couple that no one else gets to be privy to. And I feel the same way about the Lord is that, man, I love corporate prayer and I love the time that we get together to just spend together like this. But man, do you know what I love even more, to be honest with you, is my time with the Lord alone because it's special and it's for me and him and it's awesome. And I pray that all of you guys have that. Verse 28 says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. I'm going to invite my brother Chad up here to <laughs> break that part of scripture down. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. I actually was debating calling you because I'm like, oh my goodness. This is a hard section of scripture, y'all. And we're coming into some really heavy stuff. And I, I tease my brother Chad because he loves this. He loves digging deep and I love that about him. I'm more like, man, like this is just tough. 
But part of our job as Christians, you guys, is to start chewing on the meat of the word. And so here we are. We're going to chew on it. I'm going to be really upfront and tell you this. I'm going to give your, my explanation of what I believe this all means. However, I know for a fact that there's probably people here that completely disagree with me on this. And that's okay. Because this section of scripture has been debated for a long time. A lot longer than any of us have been alive. And guess what the answer still is? Hmm. And if the answer is this, then guess what we'll find out when we get to heaven. And so I'm okay if I'm wrong, but I'm going to give you guys what I see and what I think makes sense to me. However, if you go and you listen to other pastors that are very Calvinist, you're going to get a certain bend. If you listen to a pastor from a Nazarene church or something like that that's really Arminianist, you're going to get another bend to this scripture. And that's okay. Why? Well, you're going to see that I try to ride the middle of the road, (laughs) which some people really struggle with. Now, let's dive in. One big thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to break this down. I think, and the reason I read these three verses all together is because I see them as one big chunk, one big thought, and we need to keep that context. However, I want to break this down a little bit because within this, some people have taken verse 28 and made this huge mantra out of it that I don't think is there, and I want to discuss that first. So let's read verse 28 one more time, and we'll talk about just this section here. It says this, and we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. There's a lot there, but this verse, you guys, has been butchered for centuries. How many people here have heard the phrase, God worked all things together for good? Is that what that says? No, it's not. It's not. Does God work all things together for good? Yes, he does. But with a caveat. A couple caveats. It's only half the verse, you guys. He does work all things together for good. For who? The caveat. To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. That's how he works all things together for good. We need to hear that. These caveats are important. Remember, we got to keep the context when we're reading verses. Here's the deal. Who is the book of Romans written to? A bunch of Christians in Rome. A bunch of believers in Rome that Paul had never even met yet. And these Christians, he's saying, man, you've got hope in what Christ has already done. And you have faith in that reality. And then Paul's saying, man, the Holy Spirit's there. When you jack it all up, when you don't know what to pray, man, in your weaknesses, the Holy Spirit is your down payment. He's there. He's helping you. He's walking you through that. The rest of the world doesn't have that because they haven't chosen to have that yet. It's not like it's not wide open to them. They're just choosing not to have it. But for you that have chosen it, all of those things are a reality for you. You're walking in this hope. And so when we get to this verse, keeping the context of where we were, do you understand what he's saying? He's like, if the Holy Spirit's there to help you in your weaknesses, which means weakness, you're failing, you're gonna screw things up, you're gonna say the wrong thing, you're gonna do the shaking the head movement, you're gonna have those things that you put your foot in your mouth like I just did when I was talking about ladies. You're gonna have those moments... And when you do, God works all things together for good for you. When all that stuff is true, God works all things together for good. How, you guys? Listen, it makes sense. If every Christian is groaning for what is next, if the rest of creation is groaning for what is next, even though we're weak and we have the comforter in us, 
we can rest in the fact too that as we walk this life out here on earth, stumbling and growing and walking a step forward and maybe like stumbling backwards a little bit and we just keep walking with the Lord and Jesus day by day, we keep taking step after step after step. We have this stinking awesome promise that he is gonna work all things together for good. And we know that his good, you guys, is always his perfect will. What he's not saying is that you're all gonna be wealthy. That might not be good for you, honestly. You might become a complete ridiculous heathen with a lot of money. So that's not what he's saying. He's saying the perfect will for your life is gonna be lived out. His good is gonna be brought out of you. You guys, we are going to be changed moment by moment, day by day into a cleaner and clearer image of who Jesus is. That's the whole point. We're gonna read that in this next section. But as we're doing that, as we're walking this out, we get this idea that yes, his perfect will is gonna be worked out in our lives. All things work together for good. I want us to think about that, Christian. The Holy Spirit's residing inside of us. When we sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin, do you understand the good that there is in repentance? That's already a good. Do you know what else is good? Using the brains God gave us to say, hmm, shouldn't say that again. Maybe I'll pick a different analogy next time, right? Maybe I'll pick on the men instead of the women. Maybe I'll do something different next time. And, that, and that's all good. Do you know what else is good? This is gonna sound really self-serving and maybe it is a little bit that the ladies get to show me grace and mercy and say, he's an idiot, it's okay. Do you get the point? There's good all the way around, you guys. We all get to walk it out. When someone harms us, there's good in forgiveness. There's good in all these things. There's good in us learning that, man, I could just as easily have been the one that was perpetrating that sinfulness instead of being the one that was having it perpetrated against me. And so God, give me grace and mercy for that person and help me to walk that out. There's good in our lives with the Lord, even in the bad stuff. That's the point I'm making. That's the point Paul's making. Verse 29 then says this, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So Paul, you guys, now goes into the method that God's using to be able to say, God, that he's gonna work all things together for good. Do you guys see that? Listen, here's the deal. We need to talk a little bit about the, who God is. Who's God? God is omnipresent, right? Have you guys ever read The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer? If you have not, read it. And I have copies back there. I'll give them away until I have no more and the church will buy more because I give that book out like it's candy, I love that book. Why? Because here's this guy that had, I think, a sixth or seventh grade education that thought so deeply about the Lord and wrote this little tiny book that it will take you probably, it took me about six months. Every time I read it, it takes me about six months to get through because there's so much meat there. It's not the Bible. I'm not acting like it is. But it gets you to start thinking more deeply about God. God, guys, God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means that he's everywhere at the same time, all the time. He is literally right now at the beginning and the end of creation simultaneously. He is outside of time. 
time, you guys, is just a construct for us. Do you understand that? He doesn't have time. There's no sense of time in his being because he's in all of time, all the time. Let that just sink in for a second. He's omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. You guys, that means there's nothing he's weak in. There's nothing that's too big for him to handle. There's no war, geopolitical situation. There's nothing your kid's going to do that's going to throw him off his throne. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to throw him off his throne. He's all-powerful. He's got this. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything that could ever be known. He doesn't have to go to school. There's nothing for him to not, or that he doesn't know already. He knows it all. And it wasn't like he learned it through time. He's always known all of it. He is knowledge. He is truth. He is all these things. Why is all that important? Well, guys, here's why. Can you see how God, who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and those are just three of his attributes that I'm bringing up right now. But do you see how him and only he could ever say, hey, I foreknew who was going to come to God and I predestined them for a path. Why does that matter? Because there's this huge argument in the church today between Calvinism and Arminianism. John Calvin and Jacobus Arminius right? These two guys. And they came at it from very different angles. One, Jacobus Arminianus, I'm really simplifying this, but he basically said like, you can lose your salvation. You have to choose it, but you could also lose it. And it's like this constant kind of fear of like, oh no, I've got to really walk right. And I've got to do right. And I've got to do good. And you see that in certain denominations and I'm not picking on them. I'm just naming them for the sake of our, our talk. The Nazarenes will say, I can actually walk in perfection for a few days or even a week or two. And their goal and their heart is, is that we should in our own way, be able to do that, but also we better walk good because we've got to be afraid. Calvinism, hyper-Calvinism says this, God chose you and you don't have a choice in the matter. So if you're chosen, you're good. You can go to heaven. And there's this thing called antinomianism that some Calvinists kind of fall to, which says I can live like hell and I can do whatever I want. Why? Because I'm chosen and it doesn't matter. I don't believe that. I don't think that's right. I also don't think you can lose your salvation. I tend to be a Calvin Arminianist. (laughs) Why? Well, you guys, I do see that our God is that big that he can foreknow already because he is outside of time who is going to choose him and have the path predestined for that person and yet at the same time still allow us to choose. I don't think that's that hard to get my head around personally. Some people do, and that's okay. When I was in college, there was this guy that was super, super Calvinist, and he cracked me up because we were talking and we were debating, and finally I said this, I dropped this bomb on him, and I was like, I think we were predestined to have free will, and he was like, (laughs) that's what I believe. I believe God predestined us to have free will. And that doesn't tie it up in a neat little bow. Why? Because it's a dirty way to look at it, because there is parts of the scripture that make it clear that God has predestined us, that God has chosen us. There's also parts of the scripture that says, choose this day who you're going to serve. That's in the Old Testament. It talks about this idea all throughout scripture of Jesus saying, hey, you want to follow me? Do you ever think about the fact that Peter could have said no? He could. Jesus wasn't going to be like, you're doing it whether you like it or not. That's not the way it went. Right? How many other people did Jesus talk to? Hey, go sell your goods there, rich guy, and come follow me. Can't do it. 
He didn't say, well, you don't have a choice in the matter. You better follow me. No, we have a choice. And I see God as so big and so strong and so powerful and so outside of time that he could know that every one of us here, who exactly was going to choose to follow Christ and who was not. And yet in all of that, before time even began and before we were even a thought to also say, I've got their entire life laid out. I don't see it as that complicated. So, God's predestination to me does not negate, because of God, and he's the one doing it, does not negate our choice as a human being to willingly follow Christ. And so what's Paul saying here? Let's read it really close. He says, for whom he foreknew, who he already knew was gonna choose him, is the way I read that. And again, there are some that don't read it that way, but that's how I read it. He predestined. So who already he knew were going to be, before time, knew was going to choose him, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, when you choose to follow Christ, God already has that path laid out for you to grow in, to be in, turned into the image of Christ, to walk out this walk of sanctification. Sanctification, I'm going to keep hammering this home, you guys. Sanctification means this. It's this idea that you're walking out every day, day by day, slogging it out through the mud and the muck and the mire, and you're making it one step closer to looking like Jesus every day. That's sanctification. That's dirty. That's ugly. That's not pretty. You're not going to do it perfectly. It's just not a good situation, right? That's the way it is, man. That's sanctification. My encouragement to you is this. It is better. Did you guys ever, do you guys ever watch like Bear Grylls, Into the Wild? Or Into the Wild, that's a movie. Bear, Bear Grylls versus the Wild or something like that. Yeah whatever, one of his 70 iterations of his show. But I was watching one time and he was like, it was one where he was like showing you how to survive. And, and he, he was in the Scottish Highlands and he was like, oh, there's all these bogs here. And so he's like, you want to be careful because if you get into a bog, you could die. And so he's in this bog and he's walking through it. And it just reminded me of sanctification because he willingly chose to jump into that bog. Do you realize that the people out in the world are like, I'm fine. You guys are the idiots because you think you don't have it figured out when in fact they don't have it figured out. But that's kind of what it's like. We walk into the bog and guess what he was doing? He was walking through the bog and he's like, oh, ah, there must be a dead deer underneath my feet. And he's like walking all over this like corpse that was laying down in the bottom of the bog that he couldn't see because he was like this deep into it. That's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? And you're like, oh, yeah. That's sanctification, man. That's it. And sometimes God's gracious and he pulls you out of that particular bog and you're like walking along and you're like, okay, this is nice, God. And then God's like, here's another one. <laughs> That's sanctification. You guys, do you understand that that is encouraging in the sense that when I read these verses and I know that he knew I was gonna choose him, that he predestined me to be conformed into the image of his son, even though I'm walking through the bogs, even though I'm slugging it out here. God knows what he's doing. My job is to keep walking forward. Whether I'm this deep or whether I'm walking on dry ground, it doesn't change the fact that I should be taking steps forward with him. That's our job, Christians. Now, I know people do get wrapped around the axle about the fact that God has allowed us to choose him, but at the same time has predestined us. And so many people do see that as an either or, like either he's predestined us or we're choosing him because I don't know, God's not that big that he can, can't handle that? I don't know, but I see both in scripture. And so my answer to that, and I've said this to a lot of people that want to debate this, is that my answer is yes. 
And they'll be like, but it's not a yes or no, you know, it's not yes or no, it's what is this? And I'm like, no, it's yes. The answer is yes to me. And I hope that brings clarity. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, you guys, I believe we have to each choose to follow Christ because I see it in scripture. That's what I see. I wouldn't stand up here every week and tell people that are visiting and tell each and every one of us because I'm just saying it again, you guys coming to this church faithfully every week does not make you a Christian. Cracking your Bible on Christmas Eve doesn't make you a Christian. Having a couple friends that are Christians or family that is Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Being a Christian means you have accepted that Jesus died and rose again for your sins and that he is literally the only way to get to heaven. That's being a Christian. There's a desperation in that, but again, like we've looked at today, there's a ton of hope in all that. Because once you've accepted it, you're like, I'm good. Now, Lord, I get to walk through the mud (laughs) until I get home to heaven. We see here clearly in this scripture that we are both predestined to be conformed. Predestination, God has already decided this to be the case. Conformity, how does conformity work? Well, something that requires from each of us to submit to. Do you realize that? You can choose to stand still in this walk of sanctification and it's only gonna hurt you. You can do that, Christian. You can be a Christian and stand still and be like, "Mm." God's still gonna push you forward through time, but you're gonna choose to not walk with him day by day. That's sad for you. I don't wish that upon anybody. But you have to choose to get in the walk of sanctification to begin with. But once you do that, then being conformed, that's also a choice. You choose every day to listen to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit gets you really uncomfortable, and I don't know about you, but I tend to find that he does most of the time get me uncomfortable. When people are like, I don't know what God's will is. And I'm like, well, what are you dealing with? And they tell me and they're like, and I'm like, usually I say to them, and I mean this, it's probably the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. (laughs) That's probably God's will for you. Should I move halfway around the world or should I stay here in a place that I like? Probably move halfway around the world if you're really debating it. Should I stay in a job that I can't stand or should I just go for greener pastures? Well, if you're debating that with the Lord and you're really feeling like you don't know which one it is, probably stay in the job you don't like. Do you get my point? I'm not saying those are pat answers and that that's the way it always is. I'm getting at the fact, you guys, that walking with the Lord is always going to bring us to a new level of discomfort. Why? Because we are being changed into his image and we're not staying the way we were. And so, man, walk it out. Walk it out. Don't be afraid to keep walking it out with him. Don't be afraid to be conformed. Guys, that's the joy. That's the privilege. And we have this hope that we're being conformed day by day. But aren't you glad that we serve a God that is able to look at us and say, man, I get that you've chosen me, and so you're good. You're good. You're going to be in heaven with me. And then also doesn't just turn us into an automaton where we just get to do whatever he says, and we're just this way. No, we still are who we are, and we're walking it out. I love that. So last verse says this, moreover, whom he predestined, he also called Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. You guys, we are called. We are called. We've accepted him. The call in your life is to follow him. You're called. If you've accepted him, you're called. And since you're called, you guys, you're justified. That should bring you a ton of hope. What does that mean? If God's outside of time, do you realize he's already with you in heaven? 
He already sees you in your new glorified body. That's what he said. If, if you're justified, you're glorified. Now, you can get up in the mirror and be like, I don't feel glorified. <laughs> because you are not yet. You're still walking it out. But in his sight, the way he sees you, you're justified. You're good. The blood of Christ covers you. You're good. That's awesome. So you guys, we're walking out this stuff. We're walking it out. We are already a new creation in heaven, and yet we know that when we woke up this morning, we did not feel like a new creation in heaven. Let it bake your noodle. I don't understand it all. I can't get my head around it all. Why? Because we serve a God that's way bigger than us, and I'm thankful that he's so much bigger than us and that we can't put him in a tiny little box that we want to make him and put him into, which a lot of people want to do with God. So here's the deal. I know that today's message was kind of like, you know, all over. And you guys, we're heading into chapter nine, chapter nine. Uh, I'll just say this. I'm glad we get Christmas Eve break because <laughs> I need some extra time to study. There's a lot gonna, that's going to be coming up, a lot of stuff that's going to be kind of hard to get through. And I, I, I'm praying you guys are tracking and that you're, you're following along. And I would encourage you, listen, dig into some other pastors there's a lot of great uh, pastors out there. You know, R.C. Sproul comes to mind, right? There's a lot, Tim Keller, there's a lot of great guys and they're gonna give you a certain bend, right? But the idea is, is that listen to a group of people on this stuff, if you really wanna know. Here's the other thing. If you don't care and you're more like me, you're like, man, I don't care. God's God and I'm not and I'm okay with that. Well, it's okay too. <laughs> you don't have to have a complete understanding of this. I don't and I'm okay with that. I really am. There's a song that I really, really like by a band called Gable Price and Friends, and it says, what if, we both, or what if we get to heaven and realize we were both wrong? And I think that's gonna be how it is. We're gonna get to heaven and all these people that we debate with, and we're like, I don't agree with you on this theological fine point, and, I'm gonna, and then we're gonna get to heaven, and we're like, hmm, neither of us got it right. <laughs> it was actually the third option that we didn't understand. <laughs> I think that's gonna be true for all of us in heaven on some things. I think we're just, here's what we need to get, Christians. Here's what we need to get, Church, here's what we need to get world. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to save you from your sins. That's why we celebrate his birth, because guess what? If he was just a kid that was born and isn't really Lord, well, then what the heck are we celebrating another baby being born? I mean, that's awesome. It's fun. Great. But I don't know why we send it, spend it every year doing it that way. Yeah. No. Why do we do that? Because Jesus, God in flesh, born on this earth, like letting go heaven and all that he had up there to come down and live with us. Why? because he was gonna die and rise again? That's awesome. I wanna celebrate that. But that's what makes the point of celebrating it. Christmas is not Christmas if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior. It really isn't. It's a fun celebration. It gets you some new toys maybe. But it's not Christmas. It's not really the point. And so you guys, I know we're going through a lot of this stuff, but here's the deal. I rest in the hope that God is not limited by us, that he's beyond us in every way and saw fit to send himself to make a way for us, to be in intimate relationship with him. It resonates me with me what Paul says, man, that we have hope in what is not yet. And that hope, it doesn't mean we're hoping we're gonna be saved. No, we are saved. If you're here today and you've accepted Christ, you're saved, rest. The hope that you have is welling out of that and saying, God, you're so good. You saved a wretch like me. And God, you're omniscient, which means you know me better than even I know me. And I know I'm a freak. I don't know why you bothered with me, but I'm so thankful you did. And that fills me with hope. God's so awesome. So 
He's not finished with you. You're being conformed. You have hope, walk in it, church. Walk it out in this season, amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Father, that we are justified in your sight as Christians. And Lord, I pray, Father, for anyone that's here today that doesn't know you yet, God, that today would be the day, Lord, that they would understand that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. And that, God, it's as easy as recognizing that they're not all that in the bag of chips. They're not perfect, and they don't have it all figured out. And God, us as Christians, Lord God, I'm thankful, Lord, that for each one of us that came to that realization at some point in our lives, Lord, God, I'm asking now, Lord, for us as a church, especially in this season, Lord, when people are more open to hearing about you, God, that we would be a church that doesn't suddenly think now that we're all that in a bag of chips because, God, we're just as messed up and just as screwed up as we were before, Lord. The only difference is that we are beggars that know where the bread is. God, we know about you. We have you residing in us, Lord, and we walk in that hope. We walk in the hope, Lord, that when we put our foot in our mouths or when we do stupid things or say stupid things or do all this stuff, Lord, that we have a God that is ready and able to forgive. Lord, that we serve a God that loves us so dearly that you sent your son to die for us. God, that you sent your son down here at all is is shocking. God, would you give us a heart as a church to walk out this hope, especially in this season? And God, I don't know where each and every person is, Lord, but I do know where I am. And Lord, it is a tough season. And Lord, there are plenty of people I do know in this church that are walking through similar tough seasons. And God, for some, Lord, there is past history that makes this season tough for them. Lord, I'm asking, Father, not that they would put on a fake face because that's not at all what you ask from us. Lord, you want us to be real and raw and not be Barbie and Ken dolls walking around fake. God, I am asking, Father, would you somehow, in even our hurt, Holy Spirit, would you pray on our behalf? Would you intercede for us? And Lord, most of all, Lord, would you fill us with the joy of our salvation? Would you fill us, God, with the the hope, Lord, that we are in this orphanage now, but we are going home. We're coming home someday, and I'm so stoked for that, Lord. God, move in us, I pray. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.